Today we hear excerpts from letters, from the letter of Paul to the Romans and from the letters of James. These are essentially sermons to first century Christians. With open hearts and minds, let us receive the words of these ancient sermons as if they were written just for us. From Paul's sermon to the Christians in Rome, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And from James's sermon to the early Jewish Christians who are already living in diaspora, my siblings, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, oh, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? For the word of God in scripture for the word of God in spirit, for the word of God among us. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Good morning to my fellow United Parish members. Good morning to our guests. Good morning to our neighbors. You are welcome here. My name is Carolyn Melby. I'm an expressive arts therapist and a mental health counselor. I had a client who was an inpatient, in and out of inpatient for a couple months. And at some point it was shared with me that they had not heard from their spiritual community at all during their inpatient stay or after. When they arrived back, there was no acknowledgement that where they had been. This hurt me on a, hit me on a deeper level and I wondered, is my spiritual community welcoming people of encompassing and supporting those with physical ailments as much as with mental health issues? And so I emailed Hearts and Hands and eventually our mental health team arrived our mental health team consists of Louise Bowler, of Barbara Feuchter, of Julie Anderson, Peter Rampalakis, and Jenny Robinson, who is unable to be with us today. I will pass off the mic to our next speaker on our mental health team. Thanks. Thanks, Carolyn. I'm Julie Anderson. Uh, and it's such a pleasure for me to work with this group of people on an initiative that uh, we're hoping can change our congregation for the better. I'm a mental health professional engaged in the private practice of psychotherapy. 
In recent years, I've come to feel that my adherence to my professional standards is complicated and both empowers me to do my work, but also makes me part of a system that is full of barriers to people who are seeking help. We need to change how we understand mental illness and how we deliver care. And I hope that the pandemic's lessons won't be lost on us as we seek to do so. I'd like to talk for a few minutes this morning about grief. And I want to be clear, grief is not considered a mental illness. But it can make us sick, it can make us lost, and it can make us frightened. Young adults who lose a personal, uh, who lose a parent can, out of grief, experience a developmental arrest and stop growing. We all felt the impact of grief and fear when the world closed down because of COVID. And now as we return, things that used to be clear and routine are neither. And we have to make choices about how to proceed in new ways. What we know helps with grief is community. I'll say it another way. A, beloved, a bereaved person is helped when they know they are not alone. And others have struggled as they have. That's the discovery in community. This may sound familiar because it generally is true for anyone struggling with mental illness or life's challenges. It helps to trust a group or a community to bear witness to the pain and not feel judged. We're all pretty familiar with grief, and I'm guessing that most of you, like me, have relied on faith to get by. So I want to read a, a short poem by James Cruz that came my way as I was thinking of these remarks. I kind of thought it was the universe talking to me. It's called Almost Two Years After Your Death. I no longer pick up the phone to call you, no longer expect you to walk into the room. Eventually, the brain learns to expect the absence, and the ears learn to expect the silence. The body grows accustomed to the loss of your body and recalibrates itself in space. But the heart, broken open, is as full as it ever was. Did I think it would be parched? Now I know love as a wellspring, a continual supply. Never once has the heart felt empty. There, every time I look, I find you. We here at United Parish have always put community first as I see it. It's the part of the you in this poem. It has felt natural for us to bridge differences, not, not without work, but as when we uh, merged three different congregations, extended our lawn chairs to neighbors looking to sit, and opened ourselves to be welcome and affirming. In our long-term ministry of Thrifty Threads and our recent embrace of the food pantry, we open our arms to people who are unwell, afraid, perhaps disoriented, because they too are a part of our community. Our aim on the mental health team is to help create more confidence in our ability to bear witness, to hear pain that is unfamiliar, and to know that we're supporting each other as we stretch to support a broader congregation. Thank you. Good morning. 
Uh, as many of you know, I'm Peter Rampalakis. I um, serve uh, on, on this committee. I serve uh, as part of the church council. Uh, I also sing on the choir. Um, I'm married to Merle, uh, father to Cy. Uh, and among the things that I am, I am also a clinical social worker who's been working with children and family um, for decades. Uh, my current role is with the Boston Public Health Commission uh, as Director of Child and Adolescent Mental Health. Um, being a child and family therapist has been a blessing for me. It has been a privilege to witness the strength of people looking to change the story of their families, to provide better for the children that they, than they had, to be able to um, to seek an, a new answer when, when things are, are difficult. And uh, most of my work, I've, I've had the, the privilege of seeing people at their best on their worst day. So um, we're talking about community today, we're talking about, we've been talking about neighbors all, all summer. I wanna tell you a story um, when I got to witness the, the strength, the healing power of community, um, the strongest I've seen it. Um, and at some a time maybe we all can remember and, and look back on. Uh, 10 years ago last April, uh, the bombing of the marathon happened. As one of the few uh, clinicians who worked for the city, uh, I was tapped for the um, to be the, the mental health response. So the number that was flashed on the te everyone's television was going directly to me for about two or three weeks. Um, I got to hear people's stories. I, there, most, most people, and, and most of my work has been with trauma, so most people were um, dealing with the trauma of it. About a month after the, the incident, uh, Mayor Menino held a, a dinner, a dinner for all the survivors. And I was asked to be there to be support. Um, my only uh, directive was no speeches, no press. Just let people be with each other. And there they came. The uh, Fishermen's Union offered their space and they offered their catch of the day for all these people who were, most of whom were coming directly out of the hospital to be at this event. Everyone walked in and some or came in in some form or another. Everyone looked tense. Everyone was showing what they'd gone through on their face. Um, when people were seated around the tables, there was a whole wall covered in crutches and wheelchairs and even Menino himself at that time was on, on crutches. So there was the, the, it was obvious of a need to heal. Well, people started talking and eating. Um, and what started out as tension became laughter and it became warmth and everybody felt connected to somebody else in that room. And what happened um, afterwards, a young woman came up to me 
thanking us for the day and said she had just been discharged from a psychiatric unit to come here. She was at the marathon. She, uh, a man had let her, and she was at the finish line, a man had let her stand in front of her to be, uh, to see her friend cross the finish line. And then the bomb went off. She didn't know what happened, but he was between her and the bomb. She had no idea what happened to him. And that guilt was part of the reason that drove her in, in, to, to require hospitalization. Well, there they were sitting next to each other at this meal. Uh, she was extremely relieved. Um, and that sense of connection and finding your neighbor and being in a community was extremely healing. And I think what we as a committee are asking for is to become that community together for anyone who's suffering from whatever they're suffering. And I'm gonna ask Barbara to come up and read her poem now. This is a poem I wrote about mental illness. It's entitled, A Moment of Comfort. No fear, tears are liquid prayers. No shame when tears envelop one's eyes. And anxiety can paralyze even the best endeavors. But with mental illness, one feels these emotions with even greater depth. Only a neighbor with keen awareness can reach out with a touch, a gentle touch, to soothe and soften a person's pain. Thank you. I'm someone who needs to walk around, so I'm gonna walk with this. Um, for those who do not know me, I'm Louise Bowler, and I come with sort of two roles in mind. One, I am an instructor at Boston University's Center for Psychiatric Rehabilitation. Don't try saying that more than once, it's too long. My other role is as someone who has lived most of my life with a mental illness. Um, before I entered high school, I had symptoms of a mental illness. And I was also very active in several different churches. And it was sort of, you know, she's weird. She's strange. She's stuck up. I was basically ignored. 
There were times I was like, what am I, a piece of furniture? It didn't, it wasn't good. I felt no sense of neighborliness, no sense of support. In my 20s, I, it was actually officially diagnosed that I had a mental illness. And a few years later, I started coming to United Parish. And I experienced a different type of community. I experienced one, a different type of neighborliness. Okay, um, at one point within a couple years of my coming here, I found myself without an apartment, a family here. Sorry. A family here in the community. Let me stay with them. Okay. Another person in this community would drive me home from church events. And I did not think I'd get emotional. Sorry, folks. Um, these were a different type of neighbors than I had experienced in churches before. There was the support there, and it meant a lot to me. They were good neighbors. This church community was a good neighbor. People here, I'd, I'd be very active. I'd be coming to church. I'd be um, in various activities at church until I wasn't. All of a sudden, I'd sort of like disappear, and then I'd come back. I'd been in the hospital for two, three weeks, maybe longer. And it was also another kind of support that I was allowed to come back in as if I had not been gone. And that was very much appreciated. Yet, I would have liked people to say something when I came back. Hey, we missed you. Where, are, where were you? Are you okay? We're often taught that actions speak louder than words. I want to challenge everyone to think about that. Is that always true? Because I found in my experiences in various churches that the actions were very important. It showed me that people cared, showed me that people were neighbors, Yet, I think the words would have meant so much, and it would have been a really good neighbor if people had come up and said, hey, we noticed you've been gone. Are you okay? What's going on? And do it in a way that I would have known, hey, they really do want to know. It's easy to, you know, after church, go up and say, hey, how are you doing? We missed you, and sort of walk on. Um, so... I want to leave everyone with the question, what is stopping us from putting our words first and our actions second? Is it fear? Is it concern? Are we not wanting to make things worse? Okay. Um, because the words are important. The actions are important. 
And I want to encourage everyone here and everyone listening online to think about that. Think, what words can you do and what's stopping us from being a really good neighbor? Um, and if you want, just a little plug here, if you want to explore these issues more, this coming Friday at 6 o'clock, we're going to be doing a movie and discussion night where we're going to address some of these issues. We're going to watch several snippets of video called This Is, this is My Brave, where people who, have, who are relatives of someone with a mental illness talk about their own experiences. We're going to watch some snippets of that can help us learn how to be better neighbors. Okay? And I also want to acknowledge that Jenny uh, Robinson, who is a member of our committee, could not be here today. Um, but we look forward to continuing working with the community to help us be a more supportive and a better neighbor.